You're tuning in to Tazi Encounters on Faith FM and we're coming to you live from Hobart, Tasmania. I'm your host, Sabita Zachariah, and today we have David Maxwell joining us from Launceston. Um, and David will be starting a new series today. Um, David has been doing for the past um, few weeks, like um, 19 weeks. David has been doing a series of programs titled Amazing Love, but today David is starting a new series titled The Coming King. And the first episode of that series, which is what we're going to look at today, is Ancient Words. Um, Welcome, David. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Tabitha, how are you? I'm well. I'm well, thank you. Um, I'm excited to know what, to hear what you have prepared for us in this um, new series. And Mm. did you just want to give a brief introduction or just what um, prompted you to come up with this series or to start this new series yeah yeah well in this series i want to start taking a look uh, or take a journey of discovery and preparation through the 12 part series that Mm. i want to cover Mm -hmm. Uh, looking looking at who the king is Mm -hmm. uh, when he's coming and how we can be properly prepared so i want i want to cover those very very important topics for our day today oh and i look forward to learning more about what you have to share and I hope our listeners um, feel the same way Um, and David you've been sharing quite a bit about yourself and your experiences and your family and also you you shared um, a bit about answered prayers Um, so what would you like to share with us today? Yeah, over the over this series, what I would like to do is share some challenges that I've faced in my Christian walk and how God has overcome those for me. Mm. Um, it, it takes a bit of time to make a choice yourself mm. and to make choices in different things in life. Mm. It takes effort as well, but God's the one who gives the answers when we put our lives in his hands. And what I wanted to look at or just mention briefly today mm-hmm. Is the one of the first challenges I had uh, as I became a Christian in my twenties, early twenties. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I was working in the Air Force at the time, mm-hmm. and while I was working in the Air Force, you don't really have a opportunity to tell your boss when you're going to work. When you're in the military, you work when you're told to work, mm-hmm. and that means often rostered shifts, uh, long hours, those sorts of things. Work on weekends in some places. Mm-hmm. There was one place where I was working where we would do a lot of rostered work because we were supporting the army mm-hmm. um, with the helicopters I was the squadron I was working with. Mm-hmm. And when I became a Christian, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I was challenged mm-hmm. with putting my faith first. When you join the military, you sign an agreement that says you put your queen and country first and everything else comes subsequent to that. Mm-hmm. Now, when we when we become Christians, uh, we change our allegiance. Mm-hmm. And our allegiance now is first to God and everything else comes subsequent to that. Mm-hmm. So here I had a, a, a challenge of or a conflict of uh, of allegiances, and I was able to speak to my, uh, my my superiors and let them know that I had this conflict. Mm-hmm. And for quite a while, for about uh, eighteen months to two years, there was no issues. Almost two and a half years, there was no issues with that. And they were able, I was able to work around the Sabbath and and work other days and other shifts. 
and it was only about two days there was a conflict in in all that time. Mm. But uh, towards the end of that time, I found that uh, there was a conflict in allegiance where we were being called, this was just before the... Uh, the uh, first incursion into Iraq uh, mm-hmm. in the Middle East mm-hmm. when Australia got involved as well and there was uh, a challenge to our allegiance and we had to re reaffirm our allegiance to the Queen and country and while I, I support uh, Australia, I support our um, support of the military actually uh, when, when we have to fight against uh, people who infringe on our freedoms, I, I, I didn't agree with this oath of allegiance and the way it was worded. And so I had this challenge and I had to really put my faith on the line and my job on the line and say, you know what, I, I don't think I can legitimately stay in the forces mm. while holding this position. Mm. And it was very challenging for me because I didn't know what else to do. You know, I'd been nine years in the Air Force from the time I was 15 mm. and, and this was a real challenge. You know, was I going to stand on my faith or was I going to buckle and you know, just stay in the, the military because it was a job? <clears throat> mm. I chose to stand on my morals, put God first and resigned from the military. And mm. after my resignation was accepted, I had to uh, give cause for that uh, up against uh, a board of officers and mm. commanding officer and a number of other people, psych officer. They accepted my reasons, which is quite rare mm. for those particular reasons. They mm. accepted my reasons and they allowed me to discharge. And God has opened doors ever mm. since that day. Yeah, he's always been... made sure I was employed. Yeah. I think in the entire time since I left the Air Force, I've been out of work for two weeks, uh, willingly. Willingly a little bit more than that uh, while I was studying at college, but he still provided all through that time. Well, God never fails. Never I, fails. I'm a living testimony of that. Yeah, <laughs> never fails. No, he never fails his people. He's always looking out and after us. Um, yeah, I I had a friend of mine um, who was who didn't have work for a few months, and um, it was during COVID, and she was very, um, you know, she just was worried where she was going to get. Um, she was going to get food. Actually, that's like the basic basic um, of your worry. You mm. need to eat so you can live. Anyway, um, yeah, and then you know. Just out of the blues, um, she was still studying in uni. Um, so uni introduced this. Um, they were giving some vouchers to students who did not have work. So they gave vouchers, um, calls, I think. Mm. Yeah. So and that friend of mine was going to was able to get a calls um, calls uh, voucher. And she was able to go and do shopping. And then after like two weeks or f- like a month, um, th- something else came up. And just like that, um, she just managed to get through those months when she was out of work until she was able to land a job. And yeah, that was just a really good example of how God can uh, provide for his people. He really does. Yeah. He really does provide. Would you like to give the number for the offer today? Sure. Um, um, when we're going to do it later, and then let's let's get in. Yeah. Um, so the number for today's um, 
uh, for the show is zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. Um, save the number as it does in counters, and uh, you can also get us through Faith FM app and or Faith FM website. That is faithfm.com.au. Um, so, but um, let's get into today's uh, program, David. Mm. Uh, would you like me to say a prayer, or would you like to say a prayer? Yeah, let me say a prayer for us this morning. Okay. <clears throat> Lord, as we open your word this morning, we want to thank you that we still have it. And as we look at this morning, uh, or today, as we look at how we actually have this, we want to ask that you would speak to us and through it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as as we're looking at this discovery uh, of who this king is, the you know the series the series is called the coming king, but today's is, uh, talk is entitled ancient words. I'd like to first maybe if you could read this passage of scripture, Second Peter one sixteen to twenty one for me, please. Sure, Tabitha. that's okay. I can read that. And for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majesty splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God saying to him, This is my dearly loved son, um, who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the and Christ the morning star shines in your heart. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Yeah, thanks, Tabitha. That's the first-hand witness of Peter. We all know of Peter Mm. as the one who denied Jesus uh, three times. But here is is his first-hand witness of who Jesus was. Now, we're going to We'll probably need to take a break now, but after the break, what I want to do is give you an illustration that shows where this book came from, where the Bible that we have today came from, and how we can rely on it. So how about I throw to you, you uh, tell us what the break song is going to be, and then we'll come back and we'll uh, keep talking about this. Sure. Did you want me to ask the listener question now? Um, no, perhaps we'll do that after the break. Sure. Um, this first song is The Perfect Wisdom of Our God by Keith and Christine and Keith and Christine Kelly.
Whose wisdom of his ways that mark the path of righteousness. His word a lamp unto my feet. His spirit teaching and guiding me. Listening to Tazin Candice, and uh, today we have David Maxwell presenting the um, topic. This topic, ancient words, and um, we have a listener question for listeners. And uh, the listener question is: How can we believe in the Bible being from God if all the different interpretations of it are of are at the same source of many conflicts throughout world history? So how can you believe how can we believe in the Bible being from God? Text us your responses to zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. We'd love to hear from you. And today we have a free offer which is um the book The Marked Bible by Charles Taylor and we'll give you more information after the break. Um so David we're looking at this new series entitled The Coming King and today's topic is ancient words as we've said. So what can you tell us about this program today and the verses we read before the break? Yes, thanks Tabitha. Yeah, those verses we read before the break talked about Peter's first-hand encounter with Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Jesus later, but th- this book itself is very very important and where it came from is important to establish where it came from. Some of you will have heard of the the Dead Sea Scrolls. So over over time this book has been put together, but one of the most um, important archaeological discoveries of all time happened in 1947, you know, in recent history, if you like. Mm. And, and the Dead Sea Scrolls, as they're called, were scrolls or 
ancient parchments that date to well before the time of Jesus that were discovered by a, a young Bedouin boy in 1947 uh, in this place beside the Red Sea called uh, Qumran. And uh, these these things that made the things that made these documents so valuable was the fact that they turned out to be these copies these these uh, copies of very very ancient documents and when when the young boy took these documents uh, back to his tribe and then they were sold and then sold on again and again uh, now being worth uh, they they got a pittance for them but now they're priceless documents these old scrolls turned out to be copies of the ancient israelite scriptures and after all the scrolls were uncovered from these caves and there may still be others there um, what they discovered were there were fragments of almost every book um, of uh, what we call today the old testament or the jewish scriptures and the largest and most exciting of these books is um, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> it's around about nine metres in length, and you can go to Israel, to the Israel Museum today, and you can view a copy of this. <laughs> mm. It's not the original. They'll not let anyone see the original because it's, it's down in a temperature-controlled room. Um, but you can see this nine-metre book, a book behind glass, the copy of it, uh, and it's in a building called the Shrine of the Book. At the top of the building outside looks like the top of one of their um, those containers, those old uh, pots. So when this was discovered, uh, at first there was excitement because they just, they thought that, you know, over the years of copying these old documents, there must have been errors that's, that crept in. However, as they studied these, these, um, the, this document and compared it to what we have in our uh, modern Bibles today, they were really disappointed to find that there were only minor adjustments, you know, minor grammatical changes or, you know, some, you know, little, marks and commas or they didn't have commas but you know small changes in the text that didn't change the meaning of the text at all mm. and and so what this actually meant was that the bibles that we have today through looking at this old copy of isaiah they've seen that it's been accurately and faithfully reproduced over all of these centuries. Um, archaeologists continue to find buried evidence and, and more and more um, proof, if you like, or um, things that, that reinforce the accuracy of the Bible. And uh, one of the greatest archaeologists of our modern time, W.F. Albright, is the author of about 800 works on archaeology, you know, written works. He, he's a very, very well-studied and well-written archaeologist. He said this, In the centre of history stands the Bible. To sum up, we can now treat the Bible from its beginning to its end as an authentic document of religious history. Now, that's quite a statement, but that's, that's basically what he says about this. Um, how, how can we actually believe this? How can we look at um, these ancient documents and and believe that even though they're copied accurately how can we say that that it's the word of god how can we say that it's been in it's been faithfully produced up until that time so that that's quite important and up until our day when we found them <coughs> so initially in 
uh, biblical history, going right back to the early times, they recounted things. There wasn't a written history very, very early in in um, our, our historiosity, if you like, mm. but they would um, they would recount things orally. Speaking to each other, that is. And a man by the name of John Foley uh, writes in his book, uh, Signs of Orality, the Judeo-Christian Bible reveal its oral traditional roots. He, He writes this. Medieval European manuscripts are penned by performing scribes, geometric vases from archaic Greek Greece, uh, sorry, mirror Homer's oral style. Indeed, if these final decades of the millennium have taught us anything, so he's writing this the end of the last uh, century in the nineteen late 1990s, if they've taught us anything, it must be that oral tradition never was the primitive pre- preliminary technology of communication we thought it to be. Rather, if the whole truth is told, oral tradition stands out as the single most dominant communicative technology of our species as both a historical fact and in many areas still a contemporary reality. Mm. What he's basically saying there is that even today, you know, I mean, this was something that was done uh, all all back through history, this mm-hmm. this oral communication, passing stories down from one generation to another very, very accurately. Now, even today, um, Tabitha, there are some cultures mm-hmm. that maintain this oral um, cultural heritage. They memorise long plays, sometimes lasting over over many days. And so if people today mm. in the degraded state we find humanity can still do these things today, mm. rather than past eras being less intelligent, it actually confirms they communicated very, very accurately. And in many ways, <laughs> when you think about how poorly we communicate today, mm. they did it even better than we do today and that that's very very important you know mm. in fact in reality it it didn't really take as much effort as you think mm. what we find <clears throat> now that we we look at this biblical record and we see from history over and over and again it's being uh, we're being shown evidence that confirms its historicity and its accuracy we can see that that in the Bible we see the lifespan of the ancients right from the time of Adam was much longer than we have today. Mm. Adam, for example, lived 930 years. We can't even imagine that mm. today. Mm. We live a lot longer, a lot less than that. But Adam... From Adam to all the generations down to Lamech, mm. which was Noah's father, mm. he had they all had access to Adam. So if they wanted to know what happened in the Garden of Eden, what happened with sin, what happened with God, um, how they what he taught them to do, what he expects of them, they didn't have to go to their father and they go to their father and you know Chinese whispers all the way down. Because Adam was present, they were able to go straight to Adam and get it from the horse's mouth. So every one of those people for those 930 years of his life or the best part of that mm. were able to go straight to him. Mm. And so then the overlap goes from Lamech to Shem, Noah's son. Mm -hmm. So they're a 100 years old when the flood comes. Mm. So Adam could speak to Lamech. Lamech could speak to his grandson, Shem. Mm. Shem, after the flood, 
Sorry, I lives long enough to meet Abraham and Isaac. Now that's that's more than most people realise. He was alive right down into two oh four eight from the time of creation, mm. and then Isaac was able to speak to his grandson Joseph. So really, there's only four necessary retellings of the story about God, and they were very accurately maintained. Mm. So. God gives these promises to his people, gives the promises of redemption to uh, Adam. Adam then passes it on to every other generation. And this is until the time of uh, their entry into Egypt. So once they go into Egypt under Joseph, uh, or you know around that time of Joseph, they go into Egypt, they spend some time living there, and then very shortly after that, they fall into slavery. Um, mm. the, the Egyptians make this heavy yoke of bondage, force labor out of them to try and subdue them as a people. Mm. And during the next almost 400 years, mm. this knowledge about God would not have been able to be maintained in the same way as it was before mm. simply because if you're a slave you do what the slave master tells you you know mm. they weren't able to sacrifice they weren't able to you know um, have their sabbaths the way they that god intended and so <clears throat> during this time of um uh what do you call it um bondage i suppose is the best way of saying it mm. they some of this knowledge of god wasn't able to be kept and it would have been lost mm. So, you know, mm. during this during this 400 years, their oral history starts to get degraded. So that's the practicality of it, you know, really. And they're under duress. But as soon as – it's interesting that as soon as they are released from bondage, mm. God takes them straight to Mount Sinai mm. and he has Moses write the record down. Now, remember, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, mm. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So all of that history, both of the creation of the world and God's dealing with the people right through mm. to the end of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Then, instead of oral, we have a written record. Mm. Indeed, it's interesting. Very interesting. And now we're going to go to another break and uh, we'll hear more about that, uh, what you have to say after the break. We're going to listen before this song, just to remind our listeners of our listener question. Um, how can we believe in the Bible being from God? Um, yeah, just text us your responses to 0488-880-891. Um, this, this next song is If I Stand by Jazz of Clay. Shines in the night than just the moon. It's more than just this fire here that keeps me warm. In a shelter that is larger than this room. And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiment. And a music higher than the songs that I can sing. Stuff of earth competes for the allegiance. I owe only to the giver of all good things So if I stand, let me stand on the promise You'll pull me through And if I can't, let me fall on the grace That first brought me to you 
So if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. There's more that dances on the prairies than the wind. And more that pulses in the ocean than the tide. There's a love that's fiercer than the love between friends More gentle than a mother's when her baby's at her side And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiment And a music higher than the songs that I can sing The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I don't want it to the giver of all good things So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you'll pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs. If I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. So if I stand, let me stand on the promise you'll pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. If I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs. But if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. But if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for. This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. You're listening to Taz Encounters, and uh, we have David Maxwell today talking about ancient words. And um, as we're speaking today about uh, what we can believe, how we can believe in the accuracy of what's written in the Bible today, even after all these centuries from when it was initially written. Um, so what else can you tell us about this today, David? Thanks, Tabitha. I appreciate that. Yeah, so rather than, um, as we're speaking about um, how we can believe in the accuracy of the Bible, what's written, um, it's important to to realise that after 400 years in Egypt, as I mentioned before the break, Mm -hmm. some of this oral history is lost. So... God directs them straight to Mount Sinai. So they come out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. Great miracle there. Um, <clears throat> the Egyptians are basically drowned and left behind. They don't have to worry about them anymore. And God takes them. It only takes them you know, a number of weeks to get straight to Mount Sinai. He takes them there. And 
as he gets there, he, he tells them everything again, directly through Moses. Shows his power, his might, his great love. He displays everything to them mm. so that they'll understand. They'll understand about him and they'll learn again the things they've forgotten. Let me read Deuteronomy chapter 4, just a couple of verses for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, 32 to 35, it says, Now ask concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created Man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you've heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? And by great terrors, according to all that the Lord our God did for you in Egypt before your eyes, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God, that there is none other beside him. And that's also the reason why he wrote, he he made sure that Moses wrote it down. So that covers the the period from creation to Sinai, that the period of oral tradition. And from here on, mm. after God explains everything to Moses and he writes it all down for future generations, the care of reading and reproducing these writings fall to the priests and Levites. Mm. And God required for them to be very, very precise mm. in their recording of it. Mm. So this this careful reproduction that God gave them to do required that they were so precise for a very good reason. Mm. You know, we have that idea of um, Chinese whispers of reproducing errors. Now, they had to be very, very careful that they didn't reproduce errors. Mm. And the accuracy of this is actually seen through what I shared earlier about that, that document, the, the book of Isaiah, mm. being so accurately reproduced. God wanted them to do this so that his words would be preserved and they wouldn't get messed up through generations and parallax errors, if you like. Mm. So an example of how this is done can be seen through the work of the Essenes. Um, the Essenes were a monastic tribe of the Israelites. You know, when you think of monastics, you think of uh, monks, people that live in monasteries. Mm-hmm. And we would consider them today ancient photocopiers. <laughs> they were so accurate in doing their reproduction. They would, they would do word counts. They would, um, they would do. They would have somebody checking their work. They would do letter counts, and if they got to the, um, you know, the last part of a book like Isaiah, and they made a mistake, they would throw it away, and do it again. Hmm. That's how accurate it had to be, hmm. and so they were very, very dedicated to this, uh, this reproducing of God's law and testimonies. Um, there's been so much historical and archaeological evidence as well that's helped to verify this accuracy of the Bible. And one of those I wanted to share today was uh, about the biblical city of Ziklag. Have you ever heard of that, Tabitha? No, I haven't. It's mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned in the Bible a number of times. And until recently, this city hadn't been discovered. So when we have this in our world today, people go, I don't see any proof. Can't be true. Mm. And they said about a number of things that are mentioned in the Bible. So Ziklag was one of them. Mm. Um, when they start looking for this and say, well, if we can't find this, was it really true or was it just a made-up story? Mm. 
Twelve sites had been suggested as to where it might be, and nothing had been uncovered to uh, verify its location. Mm. That is until 2015. Mm. 2015, so very, very recent, really. In 2015, archaeologists exposed this large area and lots and lots of materials that confirmed the site that they were digging at there was the one of the Philistine city, Ziklag, Mm. mentioned in the Bible. Mm. And sometimes, you know, people who make those statements like, I, we haven't seen it, so it isn't true. You get egg on your face when you make statements like that. Mm. Um, just because we t- can't see something, just because we can't discover something, mm. doesn't mean it's not true or not there. Mm. So, you know, this is this is the city in the Bible where King David goes for refuge mm. to escape um, King Saul's pursuits. Very, very interesting, the whole story. You know, if you've ever got time, go and read it in the Bible. Mm. <clears throat> And and it's like a time capsule. You know, you know what a time capsule is. Mm. You know, people put together a number of things from t- their day. They put it in a box, or they put it in something that's airtight, watertight, and all that, and they bury it in the ground. Mm. And they do that so that people in future generations can better understand the past. You know, it's been said that uh, history, <laughs> written history, mm. is somebody's interpretation of the truth mm. you know that's that's very true because you know if i write history mm-hmm. i'm going to write it from my viewpoint yeah. and many historians are like that so usually it's important to read a number of historians mm. about particular things to actually get the most accurate story because we don't ever see the entire truth yeah it's biased that's right. Yeah. And when it comes to copying things, it's usually best to go to the oldest reliable source. Mm. That's what we want. So as A.F. Albright ref- inferred earlier, many, many of these archaeological discoveries have helped to confirm the information recorded in the Bible and that their original scripts were beginning to be written around about 1450 BC. Mm. So this, this the, the scripts that we have from the Bible, that the Bible were copied from, actually predate most other religious major religious texts mm. so as, as we find the um, the buried evidence of the past mm. those they, they they are like um, unintended time capsules if you like mm. um, and and it helps to confirm what's written in the Bible mm. so what I see is that we can have confidence we can have confidence that this book that we have today you know called the Bible mm. is an accurate record of God's working in our human history. Now, we might not understand everything, Tabitha, Mm. but it's something we can trust. So you're saying what we've found in history and the accuracy of those old documents helps give us confidence that we can trust the Bible today. Yeah, absolutely. That's right, um, mm. Tabitha. There's there's always room to doubt, though. You know, God never takes away every possibility of us being able to doubt. Mm. Otherwise, um, you would have to believe things because that's the fact. Mm. So God allows room for doubt, but there's always room to f- for faith, always room for faith. Mm. And so he's given us sufficient evidence mm. um, so that we can actually believe that the Bible we hold today is accurate. Mm. Indeed. Um yeah, faith is a very important component of um, God's um, kingdom, I can say, or mm. having a relationship with God. 
Um, and we are about to go for a break. And just before that, I'm going to mention the offer for today, which is the book, The Marked Bible by Charles Taylor. And that uh, this book is an, gives an electrifying story of what can happen when sincere hearts um, pursue God's truth, no matter the cost. Um, mm. We'll give you the code to get this amazing and very interesting book um, after the break. For now, we're going to listen to this song, Ancient Words, by Michael Smith. Long preserved for our walk in 
Encounters and um, today we have David Maxwell in the studio. Um, we have David Maxwell presenting his program Ancient Words. And before we went for a break, sorry, David is not in the studio, he's in Lamchester. Um, before we went for a break, I promised to give you the code uh, to get this book, The Marked Bible, which is today's offer by Charles Taylor. And um, the code to get the book is King One, so text King One. Um, Two zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one King one without any um space in between King and number one two zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one to get the book The Marked Bible by Charles Taylor. Uh, we are in the last segment of today's program and before we went for a break, David, you shared how the Bible we have today is an accurate and reliable copy of the original text. So what else do you have to share with us today? Yeah, thanks, Tabitha. So what we've looked at so far brings us up to the time of Christ, you know, those ancient Jewish documents that were so accurately reproduced. And it was about 400 years from the end of the, the last book <clears throat> that's recorded, Malachi, to when Jesus of Nazareth comes. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about who Jesus was today. I'm going to leave that for a future study. What I simply want to look at now is the extra-biblical evidence, or evidence that's not in the Bible mainly, Hmm. That proved he existed as a person because it's kind of self-fulfilling to, you know, pick up a book and say, this book says this book is true. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So really it's important to look outside the Bible and see, is there any evidence from outside the Bible that supports some of these things we see inside the Bible? And that helps us with our um, understanding of the accuracy of the Bible. So many non-Christian sources living within, or that's people who wrote about the Bible or or Christian things, Mm. living within 150 years of the life and death of Jesus of Nazareth wrote about him. Mm. And so this confirms that he was a literal historical figure. Um, Very few genuine scholars today will deny that Jesus of Nazareth was a physical man who lived in first century Palestine. The most popular of these was the Jewish historian, and many people probably heard about him, Flavius Josephus. Mm. Um, Around about AD 37, just six years after Jesus was crucified on the Roman cross Mm. for upsetting the local Jewish authorities, uh, listen to what uh, Flavius Josephus writes about this time and about Jesus. Mm. He says, Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man. He was the Christ. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a moment. Hmm. The phrase that, that Joseph um, Josephus is using there, that the Christ means the Messiah. So he was saying as a non-biblical writer, as a Jewish historian, that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Jewish Messiah. That's what he's saying by using that, that word. Mm. And when Pilate, I'm back to reading what he quoted now, or quoting what he read, wrote. Mm. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, now stop there again. 
when he says us, he is talking about the ones that condemned him. He goes on, had condemned him to the cross. So he is talking about him being present as a first-hand witness in the council that condemned Jesus to death. Mm. That's a very significant statement. Mm. Let me keep reading. So the principal men among us had condemned him to the cross. Those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. He doesn't say they said he appeared alive the third day. He is convinced in his writing of history mm. that Jesus appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold, he goes on, these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. And that's from Antiquities um, 18, uh, page 33 or paragraph 33. Very, very interesting here that a non-biblical writer someone who's writing outside the Bible record is confirming these things that the Bible talks about. Jesus' life, who he said he was, his death, his resurrection, and those that followed the early church. Although the way he describes it almost is from like an outsider, like he's not part of that Christian church. Mm. And so there's less chance of that bias. Mm. And I think that's very, very uh, significant a mm. uh, significant historical statement. <clears throat> so uh, another one is this uh, BC AD. You know, you've heard of you know 2000 BC, mm. uh, 1985 AD. You know, mm. that's we we drop the AD now because we're just using that that era. Mm. But um, there can be no denying the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was a real historical fi- figure, a man who lived till his early 30s before being killed by his own people. In actual fact, this modern dating system we have for history pivots around him. We have that BC, meaning before Christ, Mm. and AD is the Latin Anno uh, Domini, which which means in the Latin, in the year of our Lord. So, you know, the whole of history, BC, AD, it, it actually revolves around the life of Jesus, which is fascinating. So why all the fuss about a man? Why do so many still follow him in his teachings today? Well, to give you a little insight, let me read just again from a couple of first-hand witnesses. Remember now, um, what we're talking about is this reliable and accurate document. Mm-hmm. I just want to read two first-hand witnesses before I summarize. The mm-hmm. first one from Peter. Mm-hmm. It's in Second Peter 1. <clears throat> I'm just going to read five verses. Mm-hmm. For we did not follow cunningly divided fables. This is what we read earlier. Mm. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So I'm going to stop there for the sake of time, and I'm just going to go to First John. Now, John was also one of his disciples, and I want to read it with apparently the passion that he would have had. <laughs> Let me read. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life that was with the Father and was manifested to us. Mm. That which we have seen, we have heard and we declare it to you. Mm. And that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
This mm. is important to me that the first-hand witnesses have written something that they were con- convinced of was true. Mm. They were convinced that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again and went back to heaven. So we're going to talk a little bit about that next time, more. But, but it, to me, it confirms that these original texts that are thousands of years old, God has seen to it that they have been accurately and faithfully maintained down through the ages. Mm. God knew everything that was going to happen, and he knew all that was going to happen. And he wants you to get to know him better. So really, the only choice, the challenge I put out there is, why don't you take the first step today and, and trust that this is God's word. Mm. Start digging into it and find out more about him. Mm, indeed. Thank you so much, um, David, for this uh, interesting um, presentation. I've learned a lot today and I look forward to learning more from this series and I hope the listeners, our listeners feel the same way. Um, what do you have for us next week? Yeah, Next week we're going to continue in this series, The Coming King, and we, our title is going to be um, The Messiah as I've sort of already touched on here. We're going to look into the messianic prophecies mm. in the Bible and their fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth. And there's there's a lot. There's over 300, but we're not going to look at all of those. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I hope you can join us next week again on Friday at 9 a.m. Um, to learn more about that. And next week we have David talking about what chance do I have. Join us next week on Monday at 9 a.m. to learn what David has prepared for us. And just to remind our listeners of the call to get today's offer, which is the Marked Bible. Um, text King one two zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. We hope you enjoyed the rest of your day wherever you are. And now we're going to listen to this song, "Give Me the Bible" by Matt Minikas, featuring Clint McCoy. Give me the Bible, star of gladness gleaming, to cheer the wander, lone and tempest-tossed. No storm can hide that peaceful radiance beaming Since Jesus came to seek and save the lost Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Precept and promise, law and love combining Till night shall vanish in eternal day Give me the Bible when my heart is broken When sin and grief have filled my soul with fear Give me the precious words by Jesus spoken Hold up faith's lamp to show my Savior dear. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till night shall vanish in eternal day. Thank you. 
steps and lighter. Teach me the danger of these realms below. That lamp of safety or the gloom shall brighten. That light alone the path of peace can show. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till night shall vanish.